Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. of international uh, stories, storylines have my attention this morning. I just want you to be praying the news in relationship to Ethiopia. Um, we have talked about Ethiopia um, from a number of, of directions and viewpoints. I, I think that it's just critical that everybody knows that Ethiopia is basically on the brink, um, and this would be a democracy in Africa that we do not want to see collapse. And so Let's be praying this day for the people of Ethiopia, for their leadership, for unrest in that country. Um, Let us be praying. uh, You know, Ethiopia is the second most populous nation on the continent of Africa. So we're talking about uh, more than 100 million people. um, And we're talking about uh, water resources. We're talking about the threat of uh, open warfare with Egypt and Sudan, Sudan if Ethiopia Uh, begins to block the Nile in order to, right, satiate not only the thirst of their own people, but water their own fields. Um, That is only one of the storylines. Obviously, there's economic collapse in relationship to swarms of locusts and on and on and on. So let us be praying uh, anew and afresh for the people of Ethiopia and the situation emerging in that country. Um, And then let's not take our attention for even one second off of China, One storyline that um, I don't think that we have just surfaced lately is that China um, is actively forcing churches to preach a communist patriotism or remain closed. Like they're only allowing churches across the nation um, of communist China to reopen if they are willing to and if they uh, can show evidence of preaching this communist patriotism, which obviously is not the gospel. And so let's be praying for Christians across China and pastors as they're making um, that most difficult uh, decision. There's also a new security law enacted um, by the communist Chinese regime. Um, we, we've talked about it specifically in relationship to Hong Kong. And so this, this effort to communize Hong Kong, um, that law contains within it one article that is making it illegal for anyone in the world. Now think about that for just a moment. This security law that Beijing has put into place uh, in relationship to Hong Kong contains an article making it illegal for anyone in the world to promote democratic reform for Hong Kong. And so that matters because uh, it's going to force people and companies and brands like the MBA to choose between speaking freely or ever stepping foot in Hong, ever setting foot, ever putting a foot uh, in Hong Kong ever again. I want you to think about that in terms of the economic powerhouse that Hong Kong is, um, second only to London after New York. So there you go. It literally applies to every single person on the planet. Uh, and um, and so I, I just, I don't think it can be overstated. Um, A couple of other things going on in relationship to China. Two aircraft carriers 
are now uh, present in the South China Sea. We are actively, um, mm, it's a show of force. It's a show of American force, no question about it. Um, And then there is a piece that I would direct you to in the Washington Post um, by the editors there uh, using the word genocide to describe what communist China is doing to the Uyghur people in the Zhejiang province. Um, And so just on and on and on. I am reading a headline today that the bubonic plague has been found in a herder and therefore a herd in Inner Mongolia. Um, And the city has put control measures into place after they have a a confirmed case of the bubonic plague, something that actually caused the Black Death in the Middle Ages. So, you know, just in case you weren't up to speed on headlines out of China. Oh, yes. And the swine flu is back, threatening to reemerge in China as well. All right. um, I am going to get to that headline, but I got a couple of other things I want to talk with Dr. Jeff Barrows about. He is from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. That conversation up next. Dr. Jeff Barrows is the Senior Vice President for Bioethics and Public Policy with the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He is also an OBGYN physician. Uh, Dr. Barrows, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you, Carmen. Good morning, and thank you for having me on this morning. Absolutely. Um, Well, one of the reasons that we... Well, first of all, we just love talking with uh, representatives from CMDA. We believe in what you're doing. We appreciate um, this incredible service that you render to um, Christians in all all varieties of healthcare. So, want to direct people to the website cmda.org. I'm delighted to have you with us um, in particular here today because you are an OBGYN and um, work in this area of bioethics and public policy. I'd just love to have your reaction and response to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in the June Medical Services case out of Louisiana. Yeah, you know, I've been listening to a lot of different people talk about this case uh, since it came out, what, a week and a half or two weeks ago. But uh, I haven't seen many people focus on the medical side of this, and that's really critical. So I thought I would kind of illustrate or try and answer the question of why is it so important for someone who is performing abortions to have admitting privileges at a hospital nearby. And I think probably the best way to illustrate that is to kind of go through an imaginary scenario where uh, an abortionist uh, has a complication in the clinic and the difference that it makes if that person has admitting privileges. So one of the more common complications we call a uterine perforation, and that's where you put the instrument that's being used in the abortion through the wall of the uterus during the abortion. And unfortunately, this is relatively easy to do because the uterine wall is very soft. And when that happens, two things begin right away, and that is you have internal bleeding, 
uh, from that laceration, especially if they've also lacerated an artery. And the second thing is that you have the potential for internal damage to the organs inside the abdomen, specifically the large bowel, the small bowel, and there are even large vessels nearby. So it's an obvious emergency situation. And so if that person performing the abortion has admitting privileges at a hospital nearby, they can immediately stop the abortion procedure, send the patient to the hospital, they can pick up the phone and and call the emergency department get a nurse on the phone, and because they have admitting privileges, they can give orders to that nurse, and they can say to the nurse, I have such and such patient coming in, I want an IV started, I want her to get this, these particular blood tests, I want her type and cross-matched for four units of blood, I want her set up for surgery because I'm coming in right after her, and I'm going to deal with some issues up in the operating room. And so you can imagine that things are going to move very quickly and promptly, as they should in this type of situation. But that's only if they have admitting privileges. If they don't have admitting privileges, which unfortunately is the case for the vast majority of people performing abortions around the country, then all they can do is send the patient to the hospital and then call the hospital. And they, even though they're a doctor, they're going to be treated like anybody else. They'll be lucky to get a nurse on the phone. They have no ability to give them orders. They have no ability to say, get the operating room ready. They have no ability to tell a doctor what they're supposed to do. All they can do is say, this patient's coming in, they need to be evaluated, and that's it. And so that will delay any kind of treatment for that complication, specifically the perforated uterus. And of course, that delay could be life-threatening and and cause deaths. And that's what the Supreme Court turned down a couple of weeks ago in this decision. They said, no, we don't really feel it's necessary for people performing abortions to have these hospital admitting privileges because we don't think complications happen all that often. And unfortunately, even though this was this case was limited to the state of Louisiana, because we're talking about the Supreme Court, we're now talking about every abortion clinic in the United States. Do you remember, um, Dr. Barrows, when we used to have conversations about um, uh, abortion being safe, legal, and rare. This this is abortion that's legal, certainly not rare, and now not safe. I mean, I, absolutely unsafe. I, the, the, yeah. the the phrase, you know, the phrase "safe, legal, and rare" is something hatched by you know abortion advocates to begin convincing the country. I I feel like under I feel like this goes back to the Bill Clinton days. I could be my historical reference could be inaccurate there. But I feel like that's where it uh, we started talking in this country. That became part of the language that, you know, abortion would be safe, legal and rare. It's no is it, it's absolutely legal, which is heartbreaking. It's certainly not rare. And now it's not safe. No. And, and you're right. I remember President Clinton talking about this repeatedly. And uh, this ruling, the, the bottom line is, is that this ruling by the Supreme Court will cost women's lives. 
I have no doubt about it. You know, one of the things that surprises me as an OBGYN is that these clinics aren't required to keep track of the complications they have. A normal outpatient surgical clinic has to keep track of all their complications. They have to report it to the hospital. Of course, all of those physicians and surgeons that are on staff at that outpatient clinic have to be on staff at a hospital. So it's only abortion clinics that don't have these regulations applied to them. And the end result is is that it exposes women getting abortions to greater and greater risk. All right, I want to direct you, if you're listening right now, to the cmda.org website. I want you to um, find the statement um, on abortion. This is this is how um, CMDA is equipping each and all of us for the conversations of the day in relationship to uh, bioethics and the challenges that we face uh, as Christians, having conversations relevant um, to the day. So the statement by CMDA on abortion is worthy of your consideration. It's in the ethical statements section of their website. I'm returning in just a moment with Dr. Jeff Barrows, uh, and we are going to um, pivot uh, briefly to their statement on human trafficking as well. So we'll be right back. All right, what do doctors have to say about human trafficking and why should we care about it as Christians in the culture today? I am talking with Dr. Jeff Barrows from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and CMDA has a uh, a very um, accurate statement um, equipping us in the area of talking about human trafficking as the contemporary practice of slavery. Dr. Barrows, let's talk about this. Let's uh, let's talk about the CMDA um, statement on human trafficking. Well, yes, Carmen. And the first thing I would point out is that healthcare professionals are in a very unique position to identify and assist victims of trafficking. And that's because studies have shown that almost two out of three trafficking victims uh, will come into the healthcare setting while they're being trafficked. Uh, and, and they really don't present to any other sector of our society like they do to healthcare. And we have the advantage in healthcare of being in an environment where we can assist these people. We can talk to them privately. We can get the trafficker away from the victim and begin talking to him or her and, and discerning whether or not they may be a victim of trafficking. So it's absolutely critical for all healthcare professionals, regardless of their specialty, regardless of the kind of medicine or where they practice, to learn about trafficking and then take the second step, and that is prepare a response protocol. What are the things they're going to do if a patient in their clinic or hospital presents that they begin to suspect might be a victim of trafficking? How are they going to handle that? And that's absolutely critical because if they don't have a, a response protocol in place ahead of time, they're more likely to cause harm to that victim and, and not do things the way they should be done. So it's so important for healthcare professionals to be aware of this. All right. And so awareness needs to, um, you know, needs to then, we're not doing this just to be informed. We're doing it to be then actually equipped. And we need policies and practices in place that we could immediately pull the trigger on. Um, that's probably a really bad turn of phrase there. Um, when we have a trafficked person 
um, who is seeking medical care. And so we just we really want people to be equipped with this information. And you can find it at the cmda.org website. Um, you and I might have uh, time for one more topic. Um, Dr. Barrows, I'd love to talk with you about China, um, in particular, the emergence of this information um, that uh, that China says the swine flu virus um, is now reemerging. So rem- remind us about uh, about this. And um, I don't know, what should we do? Well, uh, there isn't much that can be done right now, but let me just remind your listeners, the swine flu is is got its name because it was originally isolated in pigs. And what has happened recently, and fortunately, there are people in China that are following this, but there is has been a newer virus that they're calling G4EA H1N1, which is related to the H1N1 virus uh, from 2009. And uh, this has so far been just isolated to pigs itself. But recently there was a study done in April where they did some testing on the workers that are taking care of these pigs. And they found that uh, many of them, about 14 percent, had antibodies to this virus. And that's very concerning. And the other thing they found was that there was some genetic recombination going on within this virus that may make it more likely for it to jump from the pigs, the swine, into humans. So uh, what they're doing right now is watching this very closely. Hopefully it will not become a new pandemic. You know, as we, I don't know, as we consider that, uh, there are probably people who are remembering um, 2009 when some 60 million people in the United States and some 700 million people worldwide, uh, you know, suffered from this H1N1 swine flu that emerged. I I feel like it was out of Mexico, um, but obviously, you know, it's not the origin, origin of it, maybe. So when we when we talk about um, this, uh, this recombination, okay, see, that sounds a little scary to me. That sounds like a virus mutating or a virus. So help the non-scientific person read these headlines, understand what's going on, um, and then, I don't know, maybe give us a little hope. Well, yeah, you're right that this recombination can be uh, a form of mutation. And basically, uh, for your listeners, DNA is just a sequence of, of uh, nucleic acids. And what they're seeing is that there's a rearrangement in that sequence. And what's most concerning is that rearrangement has been seen before in viruses that jump from animals to humans. And that doesn't mean that this will definitely do that. And I don't even think that the fact that they've seen antibodies in these workers means that it's made that jump. It just means that they've been very much exposed to the the viral protein and they've been uh, through their hands and cuts and whatever, and they formed a few antibodies. But uh, to me, the hope is, is that, first of all, this is not going to make the jump. And secondly, if it does, hopefully China will do a much better job than what they did with COVID-19 and get right on top of it and, and stop it from spreading. All right. Dr. Jeff Barrows, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the front line every day um, of these conversations and these concerns. Thank you for 
visiting with us today. You guys can find um, Dr. Barrows and others at cmda.org. That's the Christian Medical and Dental Association. We'll be right back. Are you married? Are you having one of those for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others until death do us part moments in your marriage? Well, probably because that's sort of the warp and woof of marriage by the moment. Uh, Bob Lapine joins me next. You know him from Family Life Today. His new book, Love Like You Mean It. All right, it's, it's an effort to give husbands and wives a biblical understanding of what real love looks like in marriage by un- unpacking 10 attributes listed in 1 Corinthians 13. That's right. We're going to do the love passage. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Vengeance is God's. He will repay, whether ultimately on the day of judgment or intermediately in this life. God can discipline your abusive boss. He can bring your ex to his knees or to her senses. Forgiveness doesn't diminish justice. It just entrusts it to God. He guarantees the right retribution. The God of justice has the precise description. Forgive your enemies. That's where you and I come in. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, Paul wrote. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil territory or ground. Bitterness invites him to occupy space in your heart to rent a room. Believe me, he will move in and stink up the place. When it comes to forgiveness, all of us are beginners. Stay the course. This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Bob Lapine. You know him from Family Life Today. He's joining us today to talk about his new book, Love Like You Mean It. Bob, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. All right. It's always a joy. Um, it's always it's just always a joy. All right. Uh, let's talk about the 10 attributes of genuine love, uh, because that's really the framework of the book. Why is 1 Corinthians 13 a good place to turn Um for husbands and wives to generate a biblical understanding of, you know, what it means to love one another like we mean it. Because the Hallmark Channel is going to give you a, a different view. And, you know, I... I, I so I, don't want... I do not want a Hallmark marriage. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and just... I want, I want a marriage that is... that's the hallmarks of which are Christ. So, so lay it on me. Well, and that's exactly what we've got to recognize. I mean, everybody likes the emotional side of marriage. I like the emotional side of marriage. Everybody likes the the butterflies and the the uh, the heart and all of that. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not a proper foundation for trying to build an enduring, lasting marriage. We got to have something that's tougher than that, something that goes deeper than that. And that's where when you when you look at the word love. The Hallmark Channel version is emotion and passion. The biblical version has work clothes on, and it says we've got to we, we've got to dig in and we've got to work hard to be the kind of loving people we're supposed to be. It requires sacrifice. It requires commitment. And when we when we press through that in marriage and, and recognize that's what marriage is supposed to be, 
what I've found, what Marianne and I have found in more than 40 years of marriage, is that the satisfaction, the, the emotions are stronger and deeper and richer when you've been through the hard stuff together and you've learned how to love one another well. All right. Learning to love one another well seems like a good, um, I mean, I, right, we, we, we stood, we took vows, um, yeah. we made promises before God, between, before people who committed to stand up with us and for us. Sometimes those people aren't particularly helpful later on. Um, sure. to, you know, talk, talk with us about, you know, that I, I have often said to people, look, the, the wedding is a, is a walk down an aisle. It is a really wonderful day and it is great. But marriage is a completely different thing. Um, yeah. And so just just talk with us about that transition from going from the wedding to marriage, because I feel like that's the that is the really big step. Well, and there's a reason why the vow is at the center of that walk down the aisle. It's why it's the climactic moment in a wedding ceremony, because a, a couple are promising when we use the traditional vows, when we solemnize our marriage, that's how we used to refer to this. Uh, we are we are pledging to one another that we know that things are going to be hard, that we know that things that that there's going to be sickness and health, there's going to be poorer along with richer, there's going to be uh, hard times as well as good times, and we're saying whatever comes our way, we are going to stay with one another. We're going to endure this. We're going to love one another in the midst of these hard times. And you know there there are those things in life where the Bible says that there may be an exception here for uh, for a marriage enduring when when there's spousal spousal desertion, when there's uh, ongoing uh, adultery happening in a marriage, there are reasons why a marriage may have to sadly end. But the normal course of a marriage is supposed to be a marriage where we recognize that a hard time has come, and that's when we start to apply that we're to be patient and kind, and we're not to be arrogant or rude. We're not to insist on our own way, and not to uh, rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth, to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. That, these are not just poetic terms about love. These are, are real live characteristics, and that's, that's why I wrote the book, is to help us understand uh, this is what real love is supposed to look like. All right, I'm talking with Bob Lapine. You know him from Family Life Today. You can find him at familylifetoday.com. We're talking about his new book, Love Like You Mean It. Um, it's it's really structured around First uh, Corinthians 13. You know it is the love chapter, um, and that the the book is really structured around that particular chapter of scripture. Bob, I'm wondering um, right now. Um, there's there's somebody listening, and they say, "Okay, I've actually been married a long time." Um, I, that is not, nothing that you just said, um, mm. is true of my marriage. I have been impatient. Um, I have been unkind. Um, I have not put my spouse ahead of myself. Um, how, how do I even take a first step in this direction? Yeah, I, I think it is to, to, uh, prayerfully meditate on a passage like this. Uh, and that's what I, that the, the whole book is just an extended meditation on this passage. Uh, so maybe the book can be helpful. You get a highlighter and you, you read through and you ask God to speak to you through his word and to show you where do you begin to start. And this is not just a how do I do a self-improvement program, but how do I recognize 
where I'm falling short of God's standard and ideal, and then how do I how do I begin a process of cultivating godly virtue in my in my own life? And and I'm so glad you started where you did because most of the time people will read this and say this is not true about my marriage because my spouse is not patient or kind, my <laughs> spouse is rude, my spouse is the one who's doing this and this and this. No, my husband is a to... saint. <laughs> my husband is a saint. I just no question of I mean in the in the truest sense of that term and word and and yeah. I feel like you know I mean I definitely feel like I am the deficient partner. Um, yeah. in, in terms of loving well. And so I want to love like I mean it. And I want to love Jim in, for who God created him to be and the person God redeemed him to be. And I want to be exalting him and speaking well of him in public. And I want to be, um, you know, I, I don't want to be identifying, uh, you know, the, the nits and be picking those. I want to be just, just exalting in who God created him to be. And walking with him as a brother in Christ all the way home and elevating him in ministry. And like, that's my heart's desire. And I just feel like I'm not very good at it. Well, you're starting with the right posture because so many of us start with the posture of what we expect from our spouse, what we want our spouse to do for us, what we want our benefit from marriage to be, not what we want our assignment in marriage to be. And this is where the Bible says, no, real love is not about what you're getting. It's about what you're giving. Real love is a Jesus said, greater love has no man than this. He lays down his life for his friends. And you're saying, I want to lay down my life to to see my husband honored and glorified and, and see him exalted in this situation so that Christ is exalted in our marriage. And that's the right posture. And then to start to look at a, a list like you find in 1 Corinthians 13 and say, which of these is the starting place for me? And how can I begin to cultivate uh, this characteristic. So you look at the first one, which is love is patient. It, what an odd place to start in defining <laughs> love, you mm-hmm. know, that, that it's patient, that it suffers long. That's what the word means, that we endure suffering. And I'm again, I, I'm not talking about the kind of suffering where you're supposed to call the police. I'm talking about the kind of suffering that occurs day in and day out when our expectations don't get met or when there's a slight or when we get annoyed by something, and we're supposed to, in those moments, uh, bear that and and endure that and press through it. So how do I do that? Well, you, you begin to recognize who it is that has suffered long for us, and we recognize that our life is found in Him, and we look to Him to give us the power to endure uh, in our marriage, just in the same way that he endured the cross for us. I think that's the right approach to take. Talking with Bob Lapine, we're going to continue our conversation about his new book, Love Like You Mean It, based on the 13th chapter of First Corinthians. We'll be right back. What passage of scripture did you have read at your wedding? Or what passage of scripture did you read in anticipation and preparation for marriage? Maybe it was 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe you talked about love that is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Maybe you hoped for a marriage where love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things where love never ends. 
Um, we're talking with Bob Lapine from Family Life Today about his new book, Love Like You Mean It. It is an extended meditation on 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Bob, you, you begin with patience, which is where the, uh, where the chapter begins. Um, talk with us about how couples can cultivate patience in their relationships and in their communication with one another. Yeah, there's a there's a proverb that has been a a particularly helpful proverb for both Marianne and me. I, I think I'm the one who has leaned into this one more than than uh, Marianne has had to. But it says that it is uh, a man's glory to overlook a transgression, and and you stop and think about the reality of marriage. We are two sinners who are going to transgress and who are going to. Uh, unintentionally and and sometimes intentionally wound one another. And in those situations, uh, most often the Bible tells us that what we're to do is to to overlook, to pour grace on that transition, now the, uh, that transgression. There are times when a transgression will be significant enough. We will sin against one another in significant enough ways that we have to we have to address that. We have to learn how to biblically resolve conflict in a marriage relationship. And so you, there, there's a process we need to go through about first examining our own heart, we, about uh, recognizing what the other person's done, confronting them with meekness and with gentleness, with the goal of restoring them to a place, to helping them grow in their sanctification, not not for vengeance purposes, not for... Uh, not even so that life goes better for us, but when, when when I sin against Marianne and she comes to me and says, "I need to point something out to you. I need to to talk to you about what she, you've done here." She's doing that because she doesn't want me to get trapped in a pattern of sin. She wants to see me grow in grace. That's what I want. So I see her as my ally in that endeavor. So patience really is not just a passive activity where we sit back and say, "Okay." I'll I'll endure suffering. No, it's it's where we bear the brunt of suffering, but we are allies in each other's journey of sanctification, helping one another grow where we don't sin against each other as often as we used to. All right, for those of you that are looking for the biblical reference, it's Proverbs 19:11. Um Bob some of us um, we're blessed to have really good examples of this in the homes in which we were raised. Many people um, were not raised in the context of of an intact uh, marriage. And even those who were, um, some of those marriages were certainly not examples of what you are describing. Um, and so give some encouragement to the listener right now who is is having a hard time even having a vision for the kind of marriage you're describing because they've never seen it. Yeah, and and that is hard, and and we need to recognize in our own marriages that what we're modeling for the next generation is a part of shaping the next generation. So mm-hmm. it it is significant. You grew up in a home where mom and dad didn't make it, or where there was tension and conflict in the home all the time. You did get a clear picture of some things not to do in a marriage. And and you probably brought that in, said, I'm I'm never going to have the kind of marriage that my parents had. We're not going to do this or this or this. And it's good to know a few things not to do, but you don't know what to do. And the the good news is that God gives us uh, instruction on relationship 
in the Bible. I mean, Carmen, stop and think about this. Jesus said all of the Old Testament can be summed up in two things, love God and love your neighbor, which means that when you're reading your Old Testament, it's teaching you how to love God or how to love your neighbor. So as we read scripture and it tells us about how we get along with one another, how we interact with one another in life, who is our nearest neighbor? Well, it's the person I'm living with every day. My nearest neighbor is my spouse. And the Bible is full of instruction about what that relationship, all of our relationships should look like. So you may not have had a roadmap drawn for you well by your parents, but that isn't where we ought to be looking. We, we look to human modeling only to the extent that it fleshes out, that it incarnates what the Bible teaches so we can see Scripture with, with skin on. And, and I would also say, Marianne and I did this early on in our marriage. We started to look at couples in church, couples we knew who were 10, 15 years ahead of us, and say, we'd like our marriage to look like theirs. And then we'd go to them and say, so what do you do? What are your habits and patterns? How do you love one another? How do you resolve conflict? We got help and mentoring from from couples that helped fill in some of the deficiencies that came from our homes. All right, which leads me to what a great resource this book would be, not only um, for you know those who are married, but those who um, are single and may one day aspire to be in this kind of marriage, and a great resource for um, maybe a church small group of married couples where um, those of us are older could use it as a resource to encourage um, others to cultivate these kinds of marriages. I mean, is that sort of what we—how do you envision the book being used? Yeah, I I would love to see it used in community because I think there's real power in, in going through this in community, it, whether it's a husband and wife going through it together, which, which I think there's, there's great profit in that. But when you can get together with other couples, I don't know how many times for Marianne and me, as we were uh, raising our kids, we would go to our small group meeting from, with our friends from church. And on the way to the small group meeting, we were just feeling like failures. Like our kids are going to jail someday. They're going to be juvenile delinquents. Our marriage, we got these rough spots. And then we get to small group and we go, okay, we're not alone. Everybody else has got challenges with their kids or challenges in their own relationship. And we were just honest with one another about that. And we'd drive home from small group going, okay, we can make it. We can we can press back in. We can double down on this. So I do think going through a book like this in community, as long as the couples you're in community with are going to be honest about what's really going on in their marriage and there's going to be authenticity and transparency, I think this book can help guide couples in the right direction. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Hope and prayer. Um, uh, right? Yeah. First Corinthians right. 13. It is, uh, it is a prayer, and it is a, a, a hope-filled prayer. And it's, um, it's something that Bob Lapine and his team at Family Life Today and uh, along with Marianne and um, along with Jim and Carmen LaBurge, we're praying it for you today. Um, so we want to encourage you in your walk of faith as an individual, and we certainly want to encourage you in your marriage. The book, um, the, the book is just excellent, but the book is just a starting point um, for, for a conversation about what Scripture says about marriage. And so the book is Love Like You Mean It. The Heart of a Marriage That Honors God. Bob Lapine, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys can find Bob at familylifetoday.com. We'll be right back. 
All right, the world is going to be uh, full of efforts today to discourage. You be the opposite. Go be an encouragement to others. Thanks for joining me today. You can always grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.